So what does the fight for religious liberty in the courts and with legislation and public policy have to do with Christian mission and ministry? Are those two related? Should Christians care about religious liberty or should we just simply lay down our rights uh, and only preach the gospel? Well, these are questions I ask Eric Stanley, who is with the Alliance Defending Freedom, a Christian organization dedicated to preserving religious liberty and fighting for protection for churches and Christian ministries and really religious organizations whose religious rights uh, might be imperiled. Uh, We'll also ask Eric about his own calling into the legal profession as a Christian and why he encourages others to get into this kind of ministry as well. Uh, You'll enjoy this conversation with Eric Stanley from Alliance Defending Freedom. Eric, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, glad to be with you. So, Eric, you're joining me from the Alliance Defending Freedom headquarters there in Arizona, and I uh, want to talk to you a lot about religious liberty, why churches and, and ordinary Christians should care about this issue. But I first want to kind of get your backstory a little bit. Like, what was it that kind of motivated you to go into this and to see uh, this as a sort of calling? Yeah, so it, it really kind of started for me as a young boy uh, when my parents decided to homeschool my sister and I. Uh, We were living in East Texas at the time, and uh, it was actually illegal to homeschool your kids in in Texas at the time. And I remember having a pack of information from Homeschool Legal Defense Association by the front door in case the truant officer stopped by. And and that kind of made an impression on me because really my parents just were had made that decision to homeschool my sister and I out of a desire to see us grow uh, in godly character. And Mm you know, the public schools really weren't headed in that direction. And so uh, that, I, I just kind of tucked that away. And then when my mom had asked me later on in high school, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And I started to think about that and, and really pray about it. I think the Lord really kind of led my thoughts to say, to think about kind of how had God made me? You know, what what did he, what kind of gifts did he give me? And, and how could I use those to for his glory? And I was an avid reader, loved to read as a kid, still do, loved history and research and I thought, you know, those those would probably be good as gifts for an attorney. And uh, it was about that time, too, that um, my good friend Jay Seculo at the American Center for Law and Justice was rocking and rolling and filing lawsuits all over the place. And uh, I thought, you know, that's what I want to do. I would love to be able to use the gifts and talents that God has given me to really protect the right of people to live out the gospel. And, you know, I think that sense of injustice I had early on uh, with my parents and their decision to homeschool and, and that being illegal just kind of came to fruition. And I thought, I, I think I can use this to make an impact for the kingdom. So then went to law school and, and here I am. You know, it's interesting because, you know, the the real growth of a kind of a Christian legal community, which I think is really, really great. And to see people see the law as a, as a calling you know, I, I talk to people all the time that uh, I'm increasingly talking to young people who, you know, we have a lot of people who intern or, or I talk to that, you know, want to go to ministry, go into uh, some kind of ministry as a pastor or a church leader, but increasingly quite a few who are saying, you know, I really feel called to to study the law and, and uh, do that kind of work and whatever kind of field that puts me in. Uh, uh, does that encourage you a little bit? Well, it, it has. You know, I, I remember growing up at a time in the evangelical community and, and, I'm a product of the Bible Belt, and 
you know, growing up in that, there, there always was kind of this implicit and sometimes explicit secular mm-hmm. sacred distinction. You know, well, if you really wanted to, to serve the Lord, you needed to go into full-time Christian service, and that kind of meant either pastor or missionary. And, uh, you know, those, those were the options for people who just were really sold out to Jesus. And, you know, so I, I think the Lord has, has really brought a lot of us along to understand that, you know, all of life uh, belongs to the Lord. And whatever we do as a vocation, as a calling, really can make a difference if we do it for His glory. We do everything to uh, for the Lord. And even the law, you know, uh, it's something that I saw kind of as a kid. And, and there were other, you know, other pioneers. I mentioned Jay Seculo and uh, some others uh, who had kind of pioneered this field who really showed and led the way to say, man, we can really use the law to make a difference. Uh, and we had seen that on the kind of the negative side of things with ACLU and Planned Parenthood and some of these other groups uh, using the law to advance their agendas and their causes. And so, you know, being able to take the gifts and talents that God's given me and, and, and in some small way to um, make sure uh, that the legal doors stay open for the gospel uh, all these years has been a real privilege and a blessing. But it also has been encouraging to see more kind of coming along behind that. Uh, and it and you know it doesn't just limit itself to people who go in uh, into religious liberties or work for a ministry like Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, I've seen that a lot with our Blackstone Fellowship Program, young students of the law who go in to become judicial clerks and then go on to become a state attorney general or a Supreme Court, uh, you know, clerk or working in a big firm. Uh, you know, we can use those gifts and talents to serve the Lord no matter where we are. So that has been an encouragement for sure. Let's uh, discuss for a moment how the work that you do really serves the body of Christ and how, you know, Christian lawyers, uh, whether you're arguing a case before the Supreme Court or if you're, you know, filing a a brief in a lower court or Christian lawyers who may actually work at organizations on behalf of organizations, you know, how that fits in with um, the mission of God. I think a lot of times we... As you mentioned, we try to kind of separate these things like, you know, you have ministry work and then you, over here you kind of have this legal stuff. And maybe there might even be a lot of Christians that you run into who say, why do we even need to be fighting for religious liberty? Why do we even need to be concerned about that? You know, Jesus called us to lay down our lives. Let's just, you know, preach the gospel. I'm sure you hear those mm-hmm. uh, questions all the time. What, what are some of the things you say uh, to people who are thinking that way? Yeah, you know, it's a really, it is something we hear commonly, um, but uh, I'll just, you know, maybe, I, I guess there's there's maybe a, a practical kind of uh, response to that uh, from my own experience in my own life, and then I think, you know, some examples from Scripture as well kind of help us in that regard, but just practically speaking, you know, I've been able to see, I've been litigating religious liberty cases now for going on 18 years and I've really been able to see how God can work through the legal system uh, and in the hearts of judges to remove obstacles and barriers mm-hmm. to the gospel. Uh, you know, so I, I just look back over some of the cases that I've had in regard with churches and, and even some cases that don't make the headlines, you know, or, or people may not even really hear about. Uh, they may be a little more mundane, but yet churches who have been barred uh, from building mm-hmm. in a particular town where God's called them to minister. Uh, and through a lawsuit, we have been able to remove that legal barrier, and the church has been able to build. 
uh, and minister to people in the community. The gospel is being proclaimed in a community that was previously closed off, uh, and you know people are mm. coming to Christ. Um, and, and you know that goes throughout the work of ADF, not just with churches. It's students who wanted to start up a, a school club uh, so that they could proclaim the gospel in their school, or you know even university students these days who really just want to share a message of pro-life or or a, a gospel message on their campus, but are being told they can't. And so, you know, we really, from a practical perspective, I have zero doubt that God can work in the legal profession and work through our efforts to keep the door open for the gospel. But I also see that from a biblical example as well. You know, I look at the Apostle Paul and his life and how he used the Roman legal system uh, to, you know, really protect his right to mm-hmm. proclaim the gospel and to minister. Uh, and he did that all under the authority and the power of the Holy Spirit and, and within God's plan. But, you know, he he used his right to appeal uh, to Caesar, and that took him to Rome. And, you know, I think that and that opened up doors for ministry there. Uh, so I, I really feel like there's some, there really are some practical reasons mm-hmm. and, and theological reasons for it. You know, and this is why I'm kind of so passionate about it, too, because back when ADF was started, one of our founders, Bill Bright, basically told ADF, he said, your mission is to keep the legal mm-hmm. door open for the gospel. And that's why I'm so passionate about it, because, you know, it, it just, I've seen it work over mm-hmm. and over and over. Um, this isn't about politics. It's not about creating a theocracy. It's not about grabbing political power so we can wield it over other people. It's not about remaking a Christian nation. You know, it's not any of that stuff. It's about how can God use us to remove barriers so that the gospel can go forward more freely and so that people can live it out more fully and freely in their daily lives. And that's what I've been privileged to kind of be involved in directly, but also be a ringside participant to all of these other cases that we've been involved in over the years. It's been great. I always find it fascinating, too, that occasionally I'll hear a pastor or a church planner who kind of doesn't understand the importance of fighting for religious liberty in the courts and say things like, well, we just need to preach the gospel. And I want to say to him, and sometimes I actually will, you're meeting in a YMCA or in a um, public high school Somebody somewhere fought to make a legal system that protects your ability to do that. Or, you know, you have special zoning for a church that you're not even aware of at the church that you lead. Somebody somewhere fought for for those rights. And I kind of look at it as like people who are fighting in the courts are almost kind of holding the ropes for those who are out there preaching the gospel, kind of clearing the way for them. Is that how you see your, your career, your, your calling? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. I mean, you know, I, we, we see this as, as really being a partner and serving the church as a whole. Um, you know, I, I just think a practical example I'll give is the legal battle that we waged in New York City uh, when, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of church planters and and others are kind of, you know, while back of called to the urban core, and specifically New York City, there were really uh, not very many churches in the downtown area. Very, very difficult to get real estate to to build a church there or to even start a ministry. Uh, and so churches started to meet in public schools um, in the off times and Sundays and Wednesday nights. And then the public school system said, well, no, we're not going to allow you to meet. Um, they passed a policy that said everyone else can use the public schools, but you cannot use it for religious worship. And we fought a 20-year legal battle over that. And ultimately, the interesting thing about that battle is we weren't successful legally, 
But for those 20 years, we kept the door open for churches to meet in public schools in New York City. And we saw an explosion of church plants in the downtown area in New York City. And even though we weren't successful legally to remove that policy, because of the legal battle, the governor has now, or, or the mayor of New York City has now kind of suspended enforcement of that policy so the churches can continue to meet. And today, there are church plants meeting in New York City because somebody was willing to go to court to take that issue on, to open up that area for the gospel. Uh, and I, you know, I, I just, I, I'm going to love to see, and it wasn't me, it was one of my colleagues at ADF, and I'm just going to love to see on the other side of glory, you know, where, how many lives were touched as a result of that, um, and how many ministries were able to, to go forward and to proclaim the gospel more freely because of that. You know, that, that to me, you know, that's what gets me up in the morning. That's what motivates me. That's what motivates all of us here at ADF, is how can we remove those barriers so that the gospel can go forward more effectively? Yeah, and it's interesting, when you read the book of Acts, for instance, you know, which is essentially Luke telling the story of how the Holy Spirit built the church in the first century, I'm amazed, and I'm sure you find this too, at how often Paul and others, but particularly Paul, asserts his legal rights as a Roman citizen. You know, right. Paul is willing to die for the gospel. Paul was martyred for the, the faith, willing to die. He said that I'm content to be with the Lord or to, to be here, whatever God's will is. But that doesn't mean he laid down his legal rights. Like he many times said, hey, wait a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. citizen. <laughs> right. this, this is what I'm entitled to. Jesus asserted his rights. Uh, legal rights, even though he gave himself willingly at the cross. Uh, so I just th- I think it's funny that we kind of separate that from a Christian calling, right? Yeah, it is. You know, and, and I and I've seen people, and, and you alluded to this earlier. You know, folks who say, um, you know, hey, look, we're just here to preach the gospel, and that's all we're going to do. And you know, if that means that we have to be persecuted for that or martyred for that, we'll do that. And I think that that's a good, you know, that's a good motivation or a good mindset to have. You know, Jesus didn't say in this great, or, you know, in the Great Commission, go into all the world as long as you have the legal right to do so. You know, I mean, so so we got to hold that, like, you know, no, we're going to go as followers of Christ. We're going to go and make disciples, whether it's easy, whether it's hard, whether it's legal, whether it's illegal, we're going to do it. But man, why not take advantage? of the legal avenues that the Lord has blessed us with here in the United States of America to be able to remove barriers to the gospel so that more people can come to know Christ, and so that those of us who are Christ followers can follow the Holy Spirit's prompting in our lives in the sanctification process and live out our faith more fully without having to fear that by doing so we're going to be killed, we're going to be martyred or persecuted as a result of it. Mm. You know, this is a this is a blessing for us, and so... I just see that we we could take advantage of this um, and use the law effectively in the ministry of the gospel, you know, to come alongside the church uh, so that 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 message of the gospel and and, and then its consequent effects on our life and a day by day sanctification process can go forward and we can live it out fully. Yeah, and I see this even in Paul's, you know, admonition to Timothy, First Timothy, two two, where he says to pray for all those in power, but where he talks about that we may live a quiet, peaceable life with all godliness. And then he then he goes further to just talk about how 
the spread of the gospel is good. And so he ties kind of uh, the civil authority to, to the work of the church. And in other words, he's saying, Timothy, pray for space for us to preach the gospel. Uh, you know, in those days, they had to pray for it. They couldn't really work for it. Like, right. you know, we, we have a stewardship uh, that has been given to us, you know, for government of the people, by the people, for the people. We kind of share in the accountability and, and the kind of what what societies we have, right? Well, we do, and, and I think that that gives us the ability to do things that people in other countries can't do. And so, you know, again, we could file a lawsuit, and we can go to court, and we can say, you know what, you're violating my right um, to freely exercise my religion. Uh, government. And so you need to remove this barrier so that I can freely exercise my religion and do what God's called me to do. And so we have the right to do that. And I, and I think I'm kind of a little bit pushing a little bit further into that. You know, we also have the right to work for justice and righteousness mm-hmm. uh, and to call for that in the public square mm-hmm. and to stand up for that as Christians. You know, our God is a God of righteousness. He loves justice. He hates injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's called us to to be like him in those in that regard, and and you know I think we have that ability, and I'm thinking specifically of you know things like the pro life movement and mm-hmm. kind of the legal ability to stand up in court and to fight for the right of pregnancy centers to minister to women. You know, ADF's taking it. We're we're taking a case to the Supreme Court here in a little bit where pregnancy centers are being forced to advertise for abortion in the state of California in their own facilities, mm-hmm. and so standing up to say no, no, no. No, that's wrong. That is an injustice. Uh, we need to stand for life, and we have the legal ability to stand up and to say that's wrong. Uh, and so we should take advantage of all of those things. And it doesn't mean that we have to do it in a way that's angry or you know that's outraged or you know anything like that. We can do it in a way that honors God. Um, I often tell my team, and I've been told it before, that you know for us to go into court and argue against ACLU attorneys or government attorneys, you know, we may be the only Jesus that they see uh, in the midst of that process. And so there's a way to to use the law effectively, to work for justice and righteousness, to promote legal space for the gospel, uh, and there's a way to do it in a Christ-like manner. You know, I always say, I always say to our team, you know, we are aggressive, we go to win, we do everything with that in mind, um, but if we go in a way that misrepresents the Lord and you know brings dishonor to His name, then we've lost already. Uh, and so we hold, we try to hold both of those. And and it's just, uh, I think we're it, we're so blessed to kind of be in this day and age when that's a, even a possibility to even to to do that. There are other brothers and sisters in the world that don't have that right and, and are suffering the consequences and persecution because of it. You know, in in some ways, fighting for religious liberty is an, is a way of loving our neighbor, right? Because we you know, when we create legal space for Christians to live out their faith, we're also doing that for other religions that we happen to believe are false religions. Nevertheless, they have space to practice their religion and essentially give, you know, free marketplace of ideas for people to make those uh, choices of conscience, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I've often said I, I am I'm a free speech liberal uh, in the sense mm-hmm. that I, I want a free marketplace of ideas. Uh, it doesn't bother me that, you know, Buddhists or Muslims or, you know, any other religion would have the ability to propagate their own religion. That doesn't bother me, because I know that, you know, when when you give that space 
Uh, it can't just be for us. It can't just be for Christians. It has to be for others, for everyone involved, because the gospel, you know, doesn't... <laughs> we're not afraid uh, of kind of an equal playing field with the gospel, you know, because the gospel of Jesus Christ stands on its own as the only place where you can come to Christ without any kind of your, without any works. That's what sets it apart from everybody else. It's like, no, the work has already been done. You don't have to work to earn God's favor. And man, when that message goes forward, hungry hearts can receive that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm not afraid of a level playing field. Uh, And I think really that gives us the ability to love our neighbor because I I, I heard Dr. Moore once say, you know, we are to conserve the gospel, uh, not for ourselves, uh, but for others and conserve our right to preach and to pray and to, to lead godly lives and to proclaim the gospel for the right of, of our ability to share that with other people around us so that they can come to know Christ and to know the freedom to live in Christ uh, and to have everlasting life. Um, that's what we're called to do. And, and so doing that in the legal space is just as important as doing it everywhere else. Hmm. That's really good. You, you uh, alluded to before one of the really important court cases before the Supreme Court during this term. There's two cases, obviously, that uh, at least two that a lot of Christians are paying attention to. Uh, mm-hmm. The um, the court case that you mentioned that involves the crisis pregnancy centers, but also a court case involving uh, Masterpiece Cakes. Do you want to just share just a, a short uh, snippet on why those th- those two are important cases? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, you know, let me just talk about the Masterpiece Cake Shop case for a minute because there's been a lot of misconceptions about that case. Um, and uh, really what's at issue in that case is the right of Christians to freely live out their faith in their own business um, and not to be coerced or compelled to, to violate their religious beliefs when they're, when they're in business, when they're out in the marketplace, in the public square. You know, Jack Phillips is the owner of Masterpiece Cake Shop, and he willingly serves everybody that comes into his store. Uh, one day he had a same-sex couple come into his store who asked for a, a wedding cake for their same-sex marriage ceremony, and he politely refused and said, guys, I, I don't make cakes for every occasion. Uh, I don't make you know, divorce cakes. I don't make Halloween cakes. I don't make a lot of different cakes, and, and I don't do cakes for same-sex weddings. Uh, I'll sell you anything off the shelf, anything that's already made, uh, and that wasn't good enough, and you know, they kind of cursed at him, gave him the finger, and stormed out of his shop and filed a civil rights complaint against him. Jag went through a horrendous process with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. Uh, they compared what he did to being a Nazi, uh, called him a bigot. I mean, it was really a bad uh, situation. And he lost his case. Uh, and we took it to the U.S. Supreme Court. It was just argued uh, in December. And so we'll await the outcome of that. But we're cautiously optimistic that the court really saw kind of the the religious intolerance of the Colorado Civil Rights Commission to compare just peacefully living out our faith to Nazism. Um, and that's not my words. That's the words of some of the commissioners on the Colorado Civil Rights Commission. So that's, an, that's a very, very important case to be in prayer for, um, to see kind of how the court is going to treat what I call religious dissenters uh, to the sexual orthodoxy of the day. Uh, and are we going to be allowed to take our faith into our business. And, and, and to a certain extent, that's the same with the second case that you talked about, NIFLA versus Becerra, which is really a, a law in California that requires crisis pregnancy centers to advertise for abortion in their facilities. I mean, you want to talk about completely being at odds with the whole purpose of a, 
crisis pregnancy center, you know, that's not a valid option, uh, abortion. And that case raises the same question. You know, will we be able to take our faith into the public square as we minister um, in our daily lives? And the Supreme Court's going to decide those two very important issues today, and, and those are going to have very far-reaching ramifications for Christians uh, in terms of how we deal with um, restrictions on our ability just to live out our faith freely. I want to talk a little bit in the, just in the next part about uh, some of the initiatives that you have that I think are really important. One of them is just, I think, an important program for uh, for churches to help individual churches really lean into um, some of the areas where they may need uh, protection from mm-hmm. from the law or maybe to to really think through you know how the their constitutions are structured. I know a lot of churches in our network have really benefited from ADF's uh, guide to kind of restructuring or just structuring well their church constitutions and governments and have obviously benefited from uh, legal advice. But do you want to explain a little bit some of the the uh, this sort of new church initiative that uh, we're working on uh, with ADF? Yeah, absolutely. And and it's called the ADF Church Alliance. And, um, yeah, you, and you can get more information about it just at adfchurchalliance.org. Uh, that's where we've got information about it. But one of the things you mentioned, our Protecting Your Ministry Guide that we had put out previously about, and it was really just kind of suggestions and tips on, on how to proactively protect your church uh, from lawsuits. Uh, so bylaw changes, statement of faith changes that were recommended to really make it easier for lawyers like me and, and my colleagues, if we have to go into court to defend the church, that we've got the wherewithal and the ability to do that. Uh, and that, you know, you might be able to, to kind of sidestep some legal issues if you do these things. We distributed, and, and you guys were great with this ERLC, really co-branded our Protecting Your Ministry Manual. I mean, jointly, we've distributed over 70,000 copies of these throughout the country. And what we found was the churches kept coming back to us and saying, hey, can, can you answer these questions for us? Can you review our bylaws? Did we do it right? And they had a ton of other questions. And so what we've done is created the Church Alliance, which is a membership program for churches that will enable ADF to offer more effective, practical, focused legal help for churches. And so Churches would sign up to be a member of the Church Alliance. There's an annual dues payment for it. Very, very affordable. Um, as an example, if you're on the low side, if your congregation's under 150, it's it's $250 a year or $25 a month. And it gives you the ability to have your a religious liberty audit of your documents by an experienced religious liberty attorney, um, make recommendations about changes that need to happen there to, to really proactively protect the church. You've got a direct hotline to uh, our religious liberty attorneys here at ADF to ask questions. And uh, then if you need legal help uh, on anything related to religious liberty for your church, uh, ADF will represent you free of charge. So, I mean, really for the cost of, of well, less than the cost of about an hour of attorney time, um, you really can be a part of an alliance that is the church standing together on the issue of religious liberty. Uh, we launched it in October. We're really praying that it will go well. Um, you know, we're starting to see a real interest in it um, as as the church kind of starts to awaken and come alive. Um, and, and you know, it's kind of interesting. We're starting to see some kind of uh, some interesting things as well. I just had a couple of my attorneys bring a an issue yesterday to me as they were looking through a church's bylaws for 
religious liberty issues, and they ran across the fact that this particular church has uh, three elders, um, and for pretty much everything, the bylaws said you need a two-thirds vote of the elders, which makes sense, except if you're going to remove a pastor, you need a three-fourths vote. And so, well, <laughs> how do you have a three-fourths vote of three people? <laughs> I'm not real sure how that happens. And, you know, so just some things like that, too, that we're really running across, kind of flagging for churches to say, hey, you guys might need to think about some of these things. Make sure that you're set up to, to operate in the right way, um, you know, that, that, that you can really protect your ministry and, and do what God's called you to do. Let us worry about the legal aspect of things, but you guys go and, and let your church do what God's called you to do in the community. Yeah, that I think it's it's such an important and valuable resource. I mean, I you know, you think of that most of our churches, uh, whether some of the Baptist churches, just evangelical churches or churches of any kind of affiliation or denomination, are, are mostly smaller churches that probably don't have huge staffs, don't have, you know, pastors have to kind of be generalists, so they're they don't have right. deep legal training. They may have a few people in their church that might be lawyers or or business people that might have a little bit more savvy, but aren't keeping up with case law and things. So the way that ADF really comes around churches and serves them in this way uh, is really is really great. And I think this this initiative really t- to me makes sense. It's just good stewardship if you're leading a church and you're saying, you know, what are some of the important things we need to have? You know, you have insurance and you have uh, several of the other things that this to me seems like a no brainer. And and one yeah. of the things that churches seem to benefit from is you know, you are seeing churches all over the country, and so you're benefiting from, say, cases that are happening with other churches that may not happen yours, like, you know, just kind of the the pooling together of, of all these different uh, uh, situations and cases is really, I think, really valuable. Yeah, it really, I think, is going to be a huge benefit to the church. I mean, you know, we have, we've really put, selected as our theme verse, 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six for this initiative, says, so if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. And, and that really captures the heart of what we're trying to do through the Church Alliance, which is, you know, to really band churches together on the issue of religious liberty. And what, a, what affects one church is going to affect all churches in the issue of religious liberty. I mean, you know, we look at today and we see we've talked about some of the legal challenges and difficulties, but for the church specifically, we see a day coming, and, and we're living in a day of increasing legal difficulties for church ministry. Um, you know, there really is a belief that if you put enough social, cultural, and even legal pressure on the church, that it will come around on issues of morality or sexuality or anything else, theologically. Uh, and there's all too, you know, there's too many government officials who are who are more than willing to put that legal pressure on the church uh, to come around. And so we see a day where churches kind of don't, you know, you, you need to know where to turn and who to go to if you're gonna if you're gonna have a religious liberty challenge in your church, um, you know, and just for questions too. You know, I had a had a church call a little while ago that had a transgender guy start coming to church. It was obviously a guy who was dressed as a as a woman, um, and everything was great. You know, they the church was ministering and, and preaching the gospel to this man and. Um, then he started to stand at the front door and greet everybody on the way in. <laughs> the church kind of said, "Well, what do we do with that? And are there are there legal ramifications? And you know, youth pastors who are confronted with transgender youth who are going off to youth camp and housing issues with that, and kind of questions about what happens there. 
uh, zoning issues. We're just dealing with a church who uh, really had a call to go into a downtown area that did not have a church and open a church and a coffee shop together and is being told they can't because of zoning laws. Um, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. And I think a lot of churches don't really know what they don't know in this area. Um, and they think they may be protected. We had a church that called a little while ago about saying, you know, well, we kind of thought we were protected. We had a wedding policy that said at least one of the members of the couple had to be a member of the church if the church was going to allow the wedding to take place in the facility. And that worked fine until a same-sex couple came and, the, and one of them actually was a member of the church uh, still. And that raises a host of other, you know, ministry issues and maybe church discipline issues and things. But, but you know, they were concerned because they thought they were protected and they weren't. Uh, and now they're dealing with this issue. And so we really want to be there to provide that focused help for churches to really say, look, you know, don't worry about the legalities of it. Let us worry. God's put us in that position where we have experienced attorneys who can help um, in this regard. Uh, and we can tell you kind of what the law says, and you can make the best decision uh, for how to how to go about your ministry. But, you know, let us handle those things, and then you, you can feel confident to just push forward in the community and, and fulfill the great commission that God's called you to do. Mm, that's a really good word. Well, Eric, I really appreciate the work that you do, and uh, we just love our our partnership with uh, ADF and pastors and leaders. If you're not familiar with Alliance Defending Freedom, you really need to be. There's some very, very helpful resources for churches that ADF has done a lot of the work on some of these things that most pastors are probably not well-schooled in and familiar with. And so uh, grateful for the work that you do and encourage people to uh, to get involved. Well, thanks so much. And ADFChurchAlliance.org, again, if you're interested in the mm-hmm. Church Alliance. But we're so grateful for our partnership with you guys at ERLC and um, being partners together in, in the proclamation and spreading of the gospel. So uh, thanks for thanks for this opportunity to talk about it a little bit more. Absolutely. And uh, we'll put links in the show notes to all these great resources. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.